In a minute, we're going to have a picture up here. I want you to be able to meet my family. Uh, all right, they'll be up here in a minute. My name is Steve Brown. I was here two and a half years ago when I got to meet y'all. And uh, I want to tell you, when we were invited by James and Ashley, our longtime friends, to come and meet you guys, it just meant a lot. And uh, Tanya is, is really sad she's not able to be here with, you, with me to be able to meet all of you again uh, when we were here last time. It was such a huge encouragement. Um, I'll, get, I'll get to that. I'll get to share some stories. But our, our son, there in the middle, one of, I think it was Thomas, gave me a, a prayer card or something that he had given you guys recently with a picture of the three of us. I had no idea you guys are doing that. that I can't tell you how much that encourages us. And in that picture, our son's hair was down, kind of covering his eyes. Now, we're not a fan of that hairstyle. I, I've told my son, you can choose your hairstyle. You can't color it. You're not going to have green hair. You're not going to have purple hair. You could choose your own hairstyle within that kind of limit. And it was growing, and his mama was saying, Pokey, please cut the hair. Let me cut your hair. I don't like it in your eyes. And I'm, but buddy, it's not my hairstyle either, but okay, you can do what you want. Well, this picture was taken on our 19th anniversary about a month and a half ago. And, and Boki, for the, probably the first time in his life, was early to school. He, he tends to run a little behind. And so he ran to school. He was in a hurry. He actually showed up early. And we had this deal after school. We're going to pick you up and we're going to go do something as a family to celebrate our 19th anniversary. Well, we show up and he walks out with short hair. See, he wasn't early to school. He left the home early because he wanted to run to the barber to get his hair cut. And he said, happy anniversary. This is your present. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So that night I said, you know what, Boki? You often hear, obey your mom and father, right? That's kind of important. It's in the Ten Commandments, and Paul, Paul says that again in Ephesians chapter 6. But I like the Ephesians chapter 6 version because it says, children, obey your parents, and that's what we need to do when we're young in faith, when it's little kids. Tell them, do this, do that. Here's where you step. Here's what to wear. Here's, I got to tell the, the seat needs, the um, small details of life, and obey what I say. But Paul continues, he says, obey your mother and father, honor your mother and father. And there's a huge difference between obedience and honoring. Obedience is, as a little child, I got to tell you all the details, Boki. Do every little word I say, and it's going to feel like we're controlling you. And in some ways it is because we're trying to help you learn and grow. But as you grow older, we're not going to tell you all those details. It says to honor, and what honoring is, is doing something just because you love somebody. And I said, Boki, we didn't tell you you had to cut your hair. That was really honoring. You were doing what Paul was saying there in Ephesians. I like that James was reading from Ephesians this morning, a different part of it. But that's my family, and I'm sorry they can't be here this morning. Actually, I just thought, I have a weird request can I take a picture of y'all? Because Tanya's not here, and I want to send her a picture and let her know that she is part of... So forgive me. I'm just going to pop a couple of pictures. And one more over here on the side. Okay, now she's going to tell me, Stephen, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but she, she's as much a part of what we get to do as I am. In fact, he is as much a part of what we get to do. We... We don't want to serve God over there and have Boki feel like mom and dad are the missionaries and I'm just this Serbian kid. Mom's Serbian, I'm American. Actually, we all have dual citizenship. But we don't want him to feel like that's our stuff and then here's Boki. He's just a kid doing his thing. And, and we tell him, you're a missionary kid, but you're not a missionary kid because we are missionaries. You're a missionary kid because we are missionaries. It's just you get to be a missionary in school. You get to be a missionary. He's 11, almost 12. You get to be a missionary among kids where we don't get to be. And uh, so this is my missionary family. And I miss them. I miss being here without them. Uh, I get to be here right now because we had a free Air Miles flight, and we haven't been here for a couple of years. And my mom's not as young as she once was. And... Uh, 
I, I'm here to be able to spend time with her, and, and I get to visit some of my good friends, like visiting you guys. So that's how I get to be here, and they don't. And, and because of the situation with COVID, and, and Tanya's mama now lives with us, and, and different things, we just felt like the timing wasn't right for all of us to come. And Tanya not only supported me in, in making this trip, but really encouraged me to come here and, and be able to spend this time with my mom and, and also get to spend a little bit of time with you guys. But I get a lot of questions from people. I'm not sure what slides next or if it'll go. Sometimes it's too big of a distance. Eh, might not work. Could you go to the next slide? Not responding? All right. Okay. That's okay. If you get it up, let me know. I get asked a lot, what is it that you're doing in Serbia? What is it that you're doing in Serbia? And I can go through, and I will, I'll, I'll share a bunch of pictures with you, and I can go through a long list of what we get to do, and I can tell you story after story after story, and I can also tell you all the struggles. It's, it's not easy living in Serbia. The processes, the systems, there's, there's, yeah, I don't even want to get into all this stuff. There's, there's, it's a country of division. There's, there's a lot of things that make it a little more difficult. But you know what? In the middle of all that difficulty, God is present. And God is amazing. And God knows that, that when it's hard, when it feels like we can barely stand up, when it feels like we just want to get up in the morning and cry because things are getting so difficult right now, He knows what we need. And He gives that to us. And we'll see if the next slide will come up. We've been there 16 years next month. Actually, go back one slide, please, to that picture. We've been there 16 years. This was 16 years ago when we left Serbia, uh, America. We were at the airport. My wife has aged about a day since then. Uh, my hair's thinned out a wee bit, and I've, I've aged a little bit. But I wanted to put this picture specifically. There were, there were about 15 people, 10 people who had said goodbye to us at the airport. But you might notice that young man over my left shoulder, he now has a beard and he was standing up here reading the word of God this morning. Uh, James Klein was there to say goodbye to us 16 years ago. I don't know exactly how old you are, but about half your life ago. And, and so that's how long we've known James and Ashley and, and loved them and they've been such a blessing to us. If you can go to the next, yeah, this won't be working. So I wanted to share with you where we live, and I know I'm only going to point at one screen, but the, the big green up in the upper right corner, that's Russia. That's in the news right now. And then the, the blue down to the left of that is Ukraine. That's where all the news is about, about the war going on and, and things and, and be praying for them and that situation. And then... Then down from there is the red country, Romania, and then is a, a country that kind of to me looks like Barney the Purple Dinosaur walking, a yellow country called Serbia. And that's where we get the honor of living and working. And, and my wife is from southern Serbia about 20 years ago. About 20 years ago, I went to Serbia for the first time. I have a distant American cousin who married a Serbian man who was a pastor of a church in southern Serbia. Long story. Fourth cousin, fifth cousin, twice removed through marriage, but we're related somehow, and we knew him. And I went to visit him, and I met this young lady who was the, the worship, or not the worship leader, she was the youth leader at their church. I fell in love instantly. In fact, 20 seconds into our conversation, I think, this is the woman I'm going to marry. And then I think, you make fun of people who go to Vancouver, Washington for a girlfriend. You're never going to see her again. 11 and a half months later, we're married. And, and from the beginning, we knew that that was where God was going to want us to live. And hey, it does work, except it just goes back and forth. All right, if you can go to the second map. There we go. And 
And here, this is what's former Yugoslavia. If you're my generation, I'm 46. So if you're 40 or above, you probably don't realize what Serbia is. You probably remember Tito and, and the former Yugoslavia. What is the former Yugoslavia is now seven nations. Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Macedonia, Montenegro, and the southern region of Serbia, which is now declared independence, uh, Kosovo, and of course, Serbia. And we get to live in and serve God in Serbia. If we can go to the next slide. It's a close-up of the country. Uh, can't really see it. It's a little blurry, but toward the bottom, one of those red dots where the rivers meet is a city called Niš, and that's the city where we live. It's, it's a great city. It's the third largest city in the country, third largest university city in the country, meaning there's about 10% of the population as university students. Wow. A lot of opportunity. And you'd be thinking, 250,000 people. Quite a, it has to have a great evangelical Protestant evangelical population, right? There are four Serbian churches. Each church has 15 to 25 people, maybe. And then one gypsy church, which isn't much better than the Serbian churches. It's got 20 to 30 people. There's roughly 100 Protestant evangelical believers in this city. I didn't do the math, but it's way under 1%. 250,000 people, some people say up to 300, and roughly 100 Protestant evangelical believers, Bible-believing believers. 84 to 86% of the country claim to be Serbian Orthodox, and for a majority of them, that just means I'm Serbian, I have the passport, but many of them will say I'm, I'm, I'm an Orthodox atheist. I'm Orthodox because I'm Serbian, but my actual faith is... I'm, or, I'm atheist, or I'm agnostic, or something. There are some, and we love it when we meet them, they say, I'm an orthodox believer. And when they use that term believer, it doesn't necessarily mean they have faith in Jesus Christ, but it means I am an orthodox actually trying to practice orthodoxy, actually trying to follow God as best I can. And, and, and I love it when I get to meet those people. One of our neighbors says, yeah, I'm an orthodox believer. And that's encouraging. And, and some of those Orthodox are true Bible-believing, Christ-following individuals. So when I say how many Protestant evangelicals there are, there are some other Orthodox who truly believe and are children of God. But it's not a large number. And so people ask what we do in Serbia. Well, what we get to do in Serbia is there's 250,000 to 300,000 people, roughly 10% of whom are college students. And, and our main focus is working with college students. And so what do we get to do? We always like to say we like to do evangelism and discipleship. Well, that's our goal. And I realize that's more the tools of our goal. I think the, the goal that we really have is to love God and love people wherever we happen to be, and God's called us to be in Serbia. Can we go to the next slide? You know, I love this passage in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. We've titled it the great, Com the great Commandment because the religious leaders of Jesus' time, the Sadducees and Pharisees, two groups, fighting groups, they couldn't agree over the color of grass, and they're fighting with each other, and, but they're together and being against Jesus because he's preaching something a little bit different than they wanted preached. And so it says here that as the Pharisees saw the Sadducees, their enemies, but at least they had a common enemy, so they kind of were together against Jesus. As one group saw another group was failing at discrediting Jesus, they went up to Jesus, and, and one of them said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? What's the greatest commandment? Now, you have to realize, Old Testament has more than 600 commands. 600 commands. And they're saying, which one of the 600 is the most important command? Well, no matter what Jesus said, they got him, right? If he says it's, it's command A, they say, no, it's B. If he says B, they say it's C. If they say it's Z, then no matter what he says, they think they got him. So they say, which of all these commands is the most important command? And here's what Jesus said. And he said, he said to him, he, Jesus, said to the accuser, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the greatest, the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Let me say this another way. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God with everything you got. Love God. And if, if I got to give you a second one, it's love people. But I don't even have to give you that second one of love people. Because if you love God, you're going to love people. And this is talking to a group of people. Excuse me. This is talking to a group of people who have a list of rules, a set of rules about how to love God. And then they have a list of rules about how to obey the rules, about how to obey the rules, about how to obey God. And, and Jesus is saying all those rules, even the rules that God has given you himself, come down to just your heart. Love God. And he says at the end, all of the law and the prophets depend on that. The law is, is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the, bo- the books written by Moses, and, and the prophets are the prophetic books in the Bible. And he says, everything you've heard God say comes down to this. Now, I was reading through, through the law in Leviticus, and, and sometimes that's the part of the Bible on a Bible read-through you want to skip through because it's talking about hairy moles and it's talking about all these weird things and, and the laws and where to go and what to do. And it, it's like, how does that make any sense? Why, why is that there? God must be this angry, strict, cranky God just giving all these list of rules, waiting for a reason to smite you. Now, I grew up going to church. I, I didn't choose to follow God until I was about 25 years old, but I grew up going to church and this was my view of God. He's this cranky old man up in heaven just looking for a reason to smack me down so I better behave. And that's kind of what the Pharisees are teaching. That's what they're teaching the, those Jews. That's what they're teaching the followers. And Jesus says, those things aren't the point. It's, it's your heart. Love God. And I was reading through Leviticus several years ago thinking, okay, God, if, if the whole point of what you want is our heart, is for us to love you, why do you give so many rules? <laughs> and they're pretty crazy rules. And, and I was reading through it, and I was reading through it, and then I went back and I read through it, and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, I don't see it. I must misunderstand something about your desire for our heart. And, and then it occurred to me, I have an 11-year-old son, and I think he was probably three-ish at the time. And, and it occurred to me, I give a lot of rules to my son, you know, children obey your parents, but the point of giving the rules to my son isn't so that he'll obey the rules and I could say, oh, okay, you're a good boy, you obeyed your daddy. It's so that one day he's going to grow up and he's going to graduate to the point of honoring his daddy, where he's going to love his daddy, he's going to love his mommy so much that I don't got to give him the rules. I don't need to tell him, hey, Boki, this is how you wash your hands, this is how you shut the door, this is the time to go to bed, this is what to eat. I don't need to worry about all that. Because I gave him the rules as a child, which helped shape his heart and has led him to the point where he's grown up enough that he says, I love you so much. I want to cut my hair just because I love you. And I'm reading Leviticus and I'm praying, God, how is this about their hearts? Or am I just screwing up my thinking? And I realized, I believe all those rules in the Old Testament, they're not there because God wanted them to obey a whole list of rules. They were there because he knew their hearts. They're sinful. They're depraved, if you want to use that word, which means all of their, every part of their lives and ours is, is dipped in sin. And, and, and he's saying, I know that. I know you're a little child. I know you need boundaries. And so I'm going to put all these list of rules, these boundaries on your life to put you in a place that I can work on your heart and change you. So what's the most important commandment? Love God and love people. So what do we do in Serbia? We love God and we love people. I was going to go on if you don't mind. Thank you. But there's this other really popular command, and it's kind of a missionary's credo, right? It's the Great Commission. Again, I grew up going to church, and I have memories of church that I wonder if it was just me being a cranky kid, and I don't remember, right? So I'm not going to talk about what I really remember from church growing up, because I'm guessing a lot of it was was my my wrong view and my wrong memories. But 
I remember, the way I remember was a, there were a couple missionaries that would come to church, and every time they would come to the church, when I was growing up, they would talk about the Great Commission. That's this. Jesus says, go into all the nation, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. And, and these missionaries would say, see, the Great Commission says go. So why are you sitting here in church? He says to go. Go to Serbia, go to Siberia, go to Egypt, go, 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 go. Well, I grew up and I finally decided to give my life to God when I was about 25. And I don't read Greek, I don't read Hebrew, but I do know how to read commentaries. And, and when you look at this passage, the word go is, is not a command. It translates as a command in English. As we read it, it sounds like go, but it actually is saying as you are going. Because you will. You will go to Serbia because God has called you to Serbia. You're going to go to Welch's. You're going to go to your work. You're going to go to your job. You're going to go to Washington. You're going to go to Idaho. Maybe God's going to call you to some foreign country also. But you're going to go. And as you are going, wherever it is that God has you going, the one command here, make disciples. And then it says, how do you make disciples? You make disciples by baptizing them. What is baptism? It's not dipping someone in water. That's, that's the symbol we use in baptism. That, but what is it? It's a symbol of I am identifying with the life, death, resurrection, cleansing of Jesus Christ, and I choose to give my life to him and to follow him. So it says baptizing. I think that's basically saying evangelism. Help people know who Christ is, identifying with him as children of God, teaching them all that I have taught you, the Word of God, how to live as Christians. And in the Bible, it teaches that when we become children of God, it's done, right? I choose to follow Jesus. I am imperfect. I don't know all that it entails, but God, I see my need. I see my sinfulness. I desperately need you. I can't do it on my own. I need help. I know you are the only way. I choose to follow you. I'm still ugly inside. I still have these habits, these, these things that I've developed over the years that need to change. But suddenly, I'm in a place as a children of God. In fact, I love, sorry, Ephesians is one of my favorite books. When I was at Bible school, we, we, we studied Ephesians a lot. And I remember every day in this Bible study methods class, we had to read through Ephesians. That was our homework. Every day, six days a week, had to read through Ephesians. And, and I love in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about how God the Father, it talks about Father, Son, Spirit, but it says, God the Father chose us. And there's a debate. What does chose mean? What does predestined mean? That's a whole nother topic. But it says that he chose us. Can't debate that part. He chose us. Why? Because he wanted to. It says, because of the goodness of his will. What does that mean? Because he wanted to. He chose us. And so instantly, we are adopted as sons in the highest place in the family. It says as sons. Daughters at that time didn't have the same position in family. So if we are followers of Jesus, we have the highest position in his family as sons adopted. And that happens that quickly. And yet there's this process of growing in our relationship with him. It says, it says, work out your salvation. It actually says, working out your salvation in one of the epistles. And it's not that I'm working out whether or not I am saved, whether or not I am a son of God. It's, I am a child of God. Now it's time to, to figure out, how do I live in a way accordingly? I'm a child of God. How do I live in a way that reflects a child of God? So Jesus says, Love God, love people. And then we got the Great Commission, and it's saying make disciples by evangelizing and teaching as you are going. And I think the Great Commission is, is how we are told to love God and love people. So we're told to love God and love people everywhere we go. How can we do that? By making disciples of Jesus, by sharing the gospel, by helping people grow. I was talking to somebody, and I was telling her that, that we have these Americans come, and, and for years, James and Ashley, in fact, they've come over. James was an intern, meaning he served with us for three months in addition to coming over for one or two additional camps in different years. Ashley, I think, came for a couple of, a couple of different evangelistic English camps that we did through the years. And, and 
there are times Americans come over or there are times I'm, I'm with Serbians and it's, I see something in your life that I, I really need to speak into because it's, it's not a beautiful thing. Not that it ever would have happened to them, but, but just all of us have those times. And, and I told this person that, that it was really hard because I had to share this with this person. It happened to be a Serbian. And, and she said, ooh, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> I wouldn't want people to say those kinds of things to me. No, I'm saying it nice, but it's not always the easiest thing to hear. And she said, I wouldn't want to be the person who says those kind of things because maybe people wouldn't like me if I say those kind of things. And I surely wouldn't want to be the person having to hear those kind of things. And, and I was taken back, and I'm not, I'm not an argumentative person to the point where I can have a debate and think on my feet, but you say something to me, I'm going to go home, I'm going to process it, and I'm going to think of it. And by tomorrow, I've got the perfect comment. No, it doesn't, it doesn't always work well in a conversation. But I was thinking about what this person said, and I came to the conclusion, how sad. Because making a disciple and being a disciple means being confronted on the uncleanness in us. Of, of having people come up to us and say, in love, in a loving way, I'm seeing this inside of you and it's not the way God wants it. And it hurts but it leads to change if we allow it to, if we're putting ourselves in a place for God to change our hearts. So God says, love God, love people, and the most loving thing we can do is make disciples. And, and we have this idea, like the Pharisees did, like the Sadducees did, that that the, the way to please God is obey all the rules. It's the things, it's the service. And the Old Testament, the New Testament, they're full of commands. Serve God, obey, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. These are not pleasing to God. And it's like, sorry, I'm not used to a microphone there. Our churches in Serbia are so small, we don't have microphones usually. So, But we, we have this idea that if I obey the commands of God, then that's pleasing God, or another way to say it, if I obey the commands of God, I kind of deserve to get into heaven. And, and for us here, right, we're, we're churchgoers. I don't know where your hearts are with God. Only he knows that, but, but we're churchgoers. So it may be for you, well, if I go to the Sunday service, hey, I'm, I'm, I got that box checked off. If I give a tithe, 10%, not 9, not 11, it's 10. That's the magic number, right? If I give that 10%, don't ask me for 10.1. Uh, if I give that 10%, then I got that box checked off. Well, maybe I'm going to act as an usher. I don't know if you have ushers here. Maybe I'm going to act as a, a daycare worker during the church service or a, or a teacher or a home group leader or, or help lead worship. Or I'm going to check off these boxes of do it, do it, do it, do it. And God, I got them checked off. And yet Jesus says... It's not the list of things to do that's the most important. It's your heart. And if I got your heart, then you're going to do those things, but not because it's on the list. Think about marriage. When you get married, are you saying, okay, we got a contract. She agrees to make dinner for me. She agrees, agrees to do the laundry. She agrees to, and I know that those are stereotypical old school. I don't know what the list would be, but she agrees to X, Y, and Z. And I agree to tell her twice a day, you're pretty. I agree to tell her, thank you. After I eat her food, I agree to take care of the yard. And if the tires need to be changed from summer to winter tires, I'll take care of that one. It's a contract. I got a list of duties I'm going to do because we're getting married. And then you're going to know I love you. Then we're done. Now we're married. No, it's not that kind of contract. Actually, for some it is. And we see the divorce rate being pretty nasty inside the church, just like outside the church, unfortunately. That happens. But that's not what marriage is meant to be. Marriage is supposed to be this love affair where you say, I love you so much. I want to get to know your heart. I want to get to know your likes. I want to get to know what pleases you, what displeases you. I want to get to know the things that are beautiful in you, but then there are going to be some things that need a little bit of shaping. And I want to be able to, as the one who loves you, speak into those things. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about the heart. Love God, love people. And all those other things 
are going are gonna to come into place, not because of the list of do's and don'ts, but because, because of the heart. And serving God needs to be, a, well, actually serving each other too. It's supposed to be a response of the heart, a response of my love for that person. And yet with God, why would I even love him? The Bible says the only reason I love him is because he loved us first. So God, when I totally didn't deserve it, and now I 99% don't deserve it, but when I 110% didn't deserve it, I wasn't even trying to follow him, he loved me. Why do I love him? Because he loved me. And he loved me so much that he decided to send his son to die on the cross so that I can have a relationship with him. And so I love you, God, because you love me. And I don't know what it means to love you and how to show you that love, but I want to learn it. Please help me learn it, God. And out of a response to his love for us, we love him. And out of a response for us loving him, we say, okay, God, how can I show you love back? You're so amazing to me. You know, Tanya is an amazing lady. Her picture's not up here right now. Tanya is an amazing lady. And, and she will do all sorts of things that I look at and I'm like, oh, honey, I can't repay you for that, but I sure want to try. And it's that kind of thing with God, but much more magnified. God is so amazing. And his love is so unbelievable that the response is supposed to be, oh, God, I love you. Why do I love you? Because you love me. God, I love you. How can I show you that love? Oh, these are the kinds of things you do and don't like. I want to please you, God. I want to please you. So what do we do in Serbia? We love God and love people. And our desire, our goal is to help people know what is it about God. First, what is it about God that's so attractive? If you don't know who God is, who is he? And why would you even want to love him? Uh, do you mind going to the first set of slides with pictures? There we go. And, and it says, make disciples. How do you make disciples? By baptizing. Basically evangelism. Helping them come to Christ, into relationship with Christ, to be a child of God in the highest place in the family, place as sons. This is, these are, not this is, these are pictures from, from something we do called um, Alpha Course. And I want to say 90%, 95% of the evangelism we do is not an organized event. Serbia is not an organized event culture. It's a relational culture. And so 99% of what we do, here in the right side of the picture, you see a backpack with a bunch of folded up pieces of paper in it. Those are what we call Tanya's evangelistic letter. She's Serbian. She understands the culture. She grew up in the culture. She grew up in communism. She lived through the Civil War. She lived through the NATO bombing of her country. She's lived through all of this. So she understands the people and she's able to relate to and speak to the people in a way that I never will. And so she wrote this letter and it's, it's the gospel message as it applies to Serbia. So it's the gospel message. There's verses in there. And it says, we're, we're Orthodox, but we don't know what it means to be Orthodox. So here's what it means. God's son, Jesus, came to die for us. And, and we're all sinners, but we think we're good. But here in Serbia, here are some sins that are common in this country. They, they literally will say, not everybody, but some, I'm going to the witch to curse the person who is offending me or to know what's up for my future. I'm going to the witch. I can't say the word right now, but it's obviously in Serbian. They don't say the word witch. Uh, but they say, I'm going to the witch. Well, that's not good. But I'm going to go look at my horoscope. Uh, that, that, that's one of those things that God says is, is not a godly thing. Oh, well, I'm going to go home and, and be with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, you know what? That's another one of those things. God says that's, that's not the way he calls us to live. That's not the best possible life. That's something God calls sin. And this letter has those kind of things. And in it, she's explaining the gospel. She's saying, in Serbia, here's some things you might identify with that, it, that apply, help you understand what the gospel says. And then, something that I thought for a while was really strange. She's got, I think, three prayers written in this. And I asked her once, I said, Tanya, your letters are great. 
And they're amazing conversation starters. Amazing conversation starters. Someone asked me the other day, Steve, what are the questions you use to start evangelistic conversations? And I told him, I'm going to disappoint you because there's not questions. We speak. Tanya says, I got a present for you. I'm a student of theology, and she is. She's, she's attending a Bible school in northern Serbia, slowly, on distance, working her way through. But she says, I got, a, I got a present for you here. I'm a student of theology. And they assume it's Orthodox Bible College. And some of them will ask, is it Orthodox? And she says, well, it is Orthodox theology, yes, because they, are, they believe the same Bible we do, plus a whole lot of traditions and different stuff. And she'll say, I've got a present for you. And she'll be able to say, here's what it is. Here's what it says. And she'll walk them through what it says. And in there, there are these three prayers. So I asked her, why have those three prayers? Because I can read a prayer my heart doesn't believe it. Kind of like singing songs, worship songs, right? We get here on Sunday morning or, or you play it in the car and you're just singing it because you know the music, because it's a catchy tune, because it's what we're supposed to do. We're here at church. And she said, Steve... Serbia is an Orthodox country. It's a liturgical culture, meaning the idea of just going somewhere and praying is, ooh, I can't do that. I need to pray. I need to go to church. Well, no, you don't. You can do that anywhere. Oh, wow, that's a foreign thought. Well, I need to know what to pray because they have written prayers. They have, have corporate readings. They have things like that that they'll know or they'll memorize or they'll say, and no, 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 you don't need that. That's not godly. Well, actually, it can be if it's read and sung from the heart. And she said here in this Orthodox liturgical culture, having a prayer that says what my heart wants to say helps me reach out to God and say, hey, I read this prayer and this is really what my heart is wanting to say. And so most of the evangelistic stuff we get to do is meeting people we never met before. It's, it's going to the doctor and it's saying, hey, I got something for you. It's, it's having students wanting to learn English from a native speaker, an American, and, and saying, hey, I'm a believer. What do you think about God? Or we're talking about love in my English class and I read them the poem of 1 Corinthians 13. And I say, well, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible? Oh, I got to read that book. Or it's, it's meeting people and sharing out of a relationship. It's not events. But we do on occasion have an event, if we can back up one slide. This is, is an event we call Alpha Course. And this is a, something developed in England. And what we do is we gather together with a small group of believers. And we're so excited for the first time in our history of being over there. We feel like we have a community of young believers who are excited to grow in Christ. And we are so excited about that. I tell you more. Man, I could talk up here for three hours. You guys don't need to go home for lunch, right? Anyway, but in this picture, there's a few, few young believers that are students. When I say students, that always means college in Serbia. There's a few students who have invited other friends, and we've invited other friends who are not believers. And we come together. We have a half hour of hanging out together, getting to know each other, maybe eat something together, snacks, or one time we buy pizza or something like that. Just having time together to relax, to get to know each other. And then we watch this video clip for about 20 minutes, or another way to do it is people have gotten up and, and done a talk, but it seems the video clip goes really well for students because they, in preparing this, they traveled all over the world. They got pictures from Egypt. They got pictures from Israel. They got interviews of people, and it's really good. And they're talking about a certain biblical uh, topic. And so the first one is, is there more to life than this? And then who is Jesus? And why did Jesus have to die? What is faith? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is prayer? How can I have faith? Different, very important biblical theological topics. But we're telling them, hey, whoever you are, whatever you believe, come, let's watch that together. Let's spend some time together and let's have a chat about it. And so we get to sit around and talk with non-believers. What do you think about this this topic. There's, there's a picture down here in the low right of two gentlemen. Uh, the one with the dark hair, his name is Stefan. He came this one week. He speaks great English. And so there were a couple people that, that connected with some Americans that, that are partnering with us. And, and so they brought some of their friends who speak great English. So I had a small group 
with English speakers. Tanya had some, some with um, Serbian speakers. And so we're, we're having this discussion group, and he says, I'm an atheist, and I don't agree with anything you're saying, but he was really really fun, lighthearted, good, good attitude, not confrontational. And he and I would go back and forth, a little sarcasm, a little joking. And, and he told me, I like to debate. Well, in college, I did some debate. So that was kind of fun for him. Uh, and so at the end, I said, okay, we're done with the, con- the, the discussion group time. We can stay and talk until midnight. But uh, does anyone else have a comment or question? And he said, yeah, I do. I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, I don't talk about these things with people because I disagree with everybody. And he said, but I come here and I, I disagree with everything you have to say, yet I don't feel judged. And that feels really good. And uh, so I just want to say thank you. Like, oh, thank you, God. That's, that's what we're after. And I told him, that's what we want, Stefan. We want a place where you can come agree with me or not. I would love you to agree with me. But if you don't agree with me, let's have that conversation. Let's talk about it. And, and here we get to have that. And I can tell you 10 more, 10 more stories about these people. But because of time, I won't. If you want to take more time later, feel free to, to ask me. Can we go to the next slide? And, and we do, we love God and love people. I'm a native English speaker and there are people who want to learn English. And so I organize English courses as a way of building relationships during the English courses for the intermediate and more advanced students. I start by saying we're going to do some, some listening and, and recognition. And I, I paraphrase a Bible story and I write it out and I give it to them written out. So they've got the Bible story written in front of them. And I, I read the Bible story to them. And then at the end, I ask them, are there any terms here that are new for you? Any questions? And we've had, had students say, what is, what is forgiveness? What is redemption? What is sacrifice? What, what do these terms mean? Well, here, let's talk about that. And it's been really, really great. But the purpose of this is to develop relationship, to develop trust, where we're able to go to coffee. It's a relational culture. We're able to go for coffee. We're able to go for a walk. We're able to spend time together later and get into that deep conversation about who is Jesus Christ and why should you care. And even in the time of COVID, at this time, we were allowed no more than eight people in a room, and we all mask up, and that's fun to teach with a mask on for an hour and a quarter at a time. But, you know, you do what you gotta, but God gives us this opportunity to love God, love people, making disciples, reaching out in his name, even in the time of COVID. Can we go to the next slide? And this is a picture every year, our team, where we serve with InterVarsity uh, Link. You might be familiar with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. InterVarsity Link is the part of InterVarsity that sends missionaries abroad. So our national team, the national organization is called EUS, Evangelical Fellowship of Students. And we, as a team, national team, we host an evangelistic and discipleship conference every summer, excuse me, camp. And it's a one-week-long place. We have activities, we have fun, and we have Bible teaching. And it's, it's up front. Hey, come, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a blast. And you're going to learn about what the scriptures say about what the Bible says about God. And some of these, let's say half are believers and half are not, but they come knowing that they're going to hear about God and we get the opportunity to pour into their lives. And then we go back home and some of these are from Belgrade where we have coworkers in different parts of Serbia, but a group of them are from our city and we get to pour into them. There's up here on the top, there's two girls sitting on either side of my son and those are two medical student sisters who first came to a, a lecture we had from a German scientist teaching on the topic, is there life out there, meaning aliens? And his conclusion is, probably not. But there is life out there because I'm a believer and I believe there's God. Well, these sisters said, we didn't come here for the spiritual stuff. We came here for the science. And then they came to my English classes and they heard more about God. And then they came to Alpha Course and they heard more about God. And then they came to our, our evangelistic English camps. And, and one of them gave, the, gave her life to Christ. And then they kept coming to, to things we organized. And Tanya especially maintained that relationship. And the other sister gave her life to Christ. 
It's such a relational culture. And this is another example of how we get to love God, love people, making disciples. If we can go to the next slide. And this, I told you, we, for the first time in our 16 years there, feel like there is this community of young believers, not just a clique of friends who like to hang out, but a group who is coming together as believers, yes, loving each other, yes, enjoying the time together, but wanting to grow and wanting to serve God and wanting to reach out in Jesus' name. Here on the bo- oh, go back one. Here on the bottom left, there's Tanya and I with a, a guy and a lady. That lady grew up in, in church in our city, and she says for the first time, she's probably 19, 20 years old, she said, for the first time in my life, we have a sense of community among young believers here, and we've never had that before. And next to her is a young man who gave his life to Christ. He, he's actually born and raised in another another city, but he came to live and study in our city. And, and he's a young believer. And I don't know if you're familiar with TikTok. It's some social media thing. I don't let my son on. I'm not a fan of it. If you're using it, I don't recommend it. Um, but he knows it's a horrible platform. But he said, I signed up for an account because nobody's talking about God there. And so he, he puts together these four to six minute uh, talks on God, on the gospel, in Serbian, a Serbian giving these messages, not some foreigner, and getting like 6,000 views on each video. I what an amazing opportunity. And in the middle, I'm with a dark-skinned guy. His name's Andrea. He's a gypsy guy, 20-ish years old, 19, 20, and he is amazing. I love this guy. He has a huge heart for God. He's one of the few that I've known since I moved there that is seeking discipleship, is seeking growth, is seeking that community. And I know I can go on for eternity, but I'll stop with this. Go on to the next slide. And, and there's this Bible study group that God's given us. This is that community where they come together. There's a brother and sister, no close up there, but there's a brother and sister that live 45 minutes away in a whole nother town, a whole nother city. And they say in our city, and I'm very familiar with their city, there's no other young believers that we're aware of. We don't have any sense of community and it's hard. He used to be a skinhead two years ago and then he gave his life to Christ. And he said, I've got friends. They don't believe in God but I've got a little Bible study with them anyway. And she, she is one of the most amazing pianists you can ever imagine. She's a freshman in college. She's actually putting off a year. She's going to be a freshman in college next year. She plays the piano with such fervor, such passion. And she says, I do it because I want to do it for God. And she is amazing. And because there's no community in her, in her community, no Christian community, she said, I signed up to be uh, in this gym and I need to work out anyway. And I use that as a, as a way to meet people, to be able to share the gospel, praying that he'll let me work in their lives. He'll work through me in their lives to share the gospel and build this community where I'm from. If you can go to the next and, and we get to, as a team, do a discipleship conference similar to the camp, but this is primarily concentrating on, on believers and, and thank you. This is nope. The, that one more. That's the slide I was after. We do get the opportunity to do things like I'm doing today. I do get to teach at church. I don't like to say the word preaching. I know it's not right, but in my mind, when I say preaching, I'm talking down to people or someone's talking down. You foolish people, you know nothing. I'm the, I don't like that. To me, to me, whoever's up here speaking needs to be saying, Hey, here's what God's teaching me. And I want to help you learn the same thing. And so I get the opportunity and Tanya gets the opportunity in different ways to teach. And that's great. But just at a conference where uh, a gentleman named Greg Ogden, he's an American pastor, he was, he was speaking and, and he, he made lots of great points, but there are three quotes he said I want to read to you about preaching and about discipleship. He said, a big part of preaching is calling people to come out of the crowd and enter into relationship with God. Huge. Huge, big thing. It's, it's calling people to say, okay, you came to the local church. You came to the big group. Now let's, let's get in small group and grow together. Let's, let's work on that discipleship. Discipleship does not happen here in a group of a hundred. Discipleship happens life to life, small group, me caring about you, you caring about me. 
That's where discipleship is. He said, even the greatest preacher ever, being Jesus, of course, didn't rely on his preaching for discipleship. And that just blew me away. Even Jesus, amazing preacher, huge crowds. He said, okay, I'm going to preach to the crowds. It is big. It is important. But now I've got my 72 disciples. You know what? I've even got my 12 disciples. But wait a minute. I've even got my three disciples that I'm going to spend extra time with and disciple and pour into their lives. And he said one other thing. He said, if preaching could make disciples, we would have finished the job a long time ago. (laughs) And I thought that was amazing because it's true. A lot of times we think, oh, I'm being discipled. I come and I listen to a service. But that's not what it is. And when we get the opportunity to teach, what we're trying not to do is saying, okay, you came to this, whatever I'm teaching at, you're all done. Go home, be happy, be filled. It's okay. Learn from this to grow, take it home. But then say, how can I get more? How can I get more? I want to grow closer to Christ. I want to grow closer to Christ because I love him in community. Where's the community here that I can grow in? Where can I find that? And Go ahead and go two slides. I love that slide, but I'm going to skip that one because I know I'm talking a whole lot. And I, again, I could talk for three hours if you want, but, but, but for your good, for your good, I won't. But if you want to know more stories, you want to know more things, I'm more than happy to share that with you. So we're, we're called to love God and love people in the most loving thing we can do. And I say we, it's not Tanya and I. Yes, it's Tanya and I, but it's every believer And if you have chosen to follow Jesus, if you have chosen to be a child of God, you are called primary, most important command ever. Love God. And if you need a second one, love people. But if you love God, you're going to love people. In fact, the Bible says, if, if you say you love God, but you don't love people, you're a liar. You don't love God because you can't love God who you can't see if you don't love the people you do see. So love God, and what's the most loving thing we can do? Make disciples. And and we get the privilege of being called by God into the context of Serbia, not an easy context. It's hard. It's a hard life there. Systems are are hard. People tend to be uh, a little more abrasive and gruff. I can't think of the right word, but a little more in your face. But you know what? At least they tell you what you think what they think. And you're able to have those conversations. It's not always easy. It's hard. I I still struggle with culture shock. I've been there 16 years and I'm still struggling with some culture shock. And yet I come back here and I can't tell you the reverse culture shock I'm having right now. I mean, talk about one thing. I don't know how many people are here. Let's say a hundred people. There's 50 to a hundred people here. I haven't seen a church with this many people in Serbia There's one or two that I know of somewhere in Serbia, about four to six hours away. So there's a culture shock. Go into Fred Myers. Do you know how many options of cereal you have? (laughs) You have a row, an aisle of toothpaste options. Toothpaste is toothpaste, isn't it? Anyway, but it's, it's not always easy. But you know what? God is there. And I love the rest of the Great Commission. So what I read was verse 19, verse 18 and verse 20 all all around it. Jesus says, before he says, go and make disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. What's that mean? I have control over everything. All those demons, all those evil powers, all those satanic powers that can come and attack you and tempt you and, and discourage you, I got authority over them. All those people in your culture who are going to be against you following me, I've got authority. In Serbia, if someone decides to follow Christ, they're likely facing facing shame and criticism from their family. They're likely to go home and have their parents say, you fool, what are you doing shaming us like that? You're no longer Serbian. You're no longer part of this culture because being Orthodox means being Serbian. Being Serbian means Orthodox. And now you're what? Part of that cult? It's not always easy. But even that, Jesus is saying, I've got authority over all that. And then he says, go make disciples. And then at the end, the verse 20, he says... Depends on your translation. I think I grew up with King James. It said, and lo, I think the ESV that I read now says, and behold, 
Okay. In the whole thing, there are two commandments. One is make disciples. The second commandment command in those three verses, based on Greek grammar, which I don't read, but I know commentaries. The second commandment is behold, means listen, pay attention. This one's important. So you be quiet. Listen to this. I got all authority, make disciples. So pay attention. I am with you. Wherever you go, to the ends of the earth, even to Welches, even to Serbia, and sometimes driving out to Welches, it feels about as far away as Serbia. But no matter where it is, as you go to work, as you're in your family, as you're in Welches, as you're in a tough family situation, as you've got people at work ridiculing you, as Serbian students go home and their parents say, you're no longer my child if you choose to follow that Jesus, I am with you. I've got all authority. Go make disciples. That's what you're called to do as children of God. That's what I'm called to do. And I'm called to do it in Serbia, and I wouldn't have it anywhere else. I love the city God's called us to. I love the people God's given us to disciple. Can we go to the next slide? I put this one together late last night. If it's Yeah, it's the one I'm thinking. These are just a few of the people that God has given us the privilege of discipling in Serbia. And it is amazing. And and sometimes we get caught up, we have to do paperwork, or we have to study, or we whatever. But the biggest joy for me, and I believe for Tanya, for Tanya, it's evangelism. She loves meeting with these students. She loves it, but her heart, she is an evangelist at heart. And she is amazing, and she is gifted. For me, it's these people. And these people are one of the biggest joys for Tanya, too. And when we get to spend time with them, our hearts get filled. I, I, I left Serbia on Monday morning. On Saturday, Sunday night, I got a message from Andrea, that uh, gypsy cellist player friend of mine. And he said, are you still in Serbia? Said, yeah, I leave tomorrow morning. He says, well, can I come by your house, talk to you? Sure. What's up? Well, he came by. It's 9.30 at night. He comes by. We, I go outside and we start talking. And he said, I just couldn't let you leave without giving you a hug. Like, thank you, God, I needed that. In the middle of all the hard things, he says, but here's the joy. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, the earth is my footstool. Go and make disciples. Not always going to be easy, but it's going to be good. And don't worry about it. Because as you face those hard times, I am with you. I am right beside you. Uh, I'm sure I talk too long. I can, I can talk for an hour and a half and, and think it's 10 minutes. But I love where God has us. And I love the fact that he has called every one of us, but he's called us to love God and love people. And for us in Serbia, in the city of Niš in southern Serbia, in a culture that even Serbians don't come to need, don't, don't come south because the North has more money, the North has the infrastructure, the North has, the North has, the North has, the South doesn't. But we go down there, and I wouldn't change living among those people for anything. No offense. I love y'all. I love America. I'm great. I'm grateful that I'm, I'm an American. I was raised here. I'm part of America. But I wouldn't move back here for anything unless God told me to move back here. God has called us to live there loving on these people and people like them. And people have asked us for years, when are you coming back here? My family stopped asking because they know the answer. We don't plan to. Well, God willing, we'll, we'll die there. Not anytime soon. <laughs> Get ya. But uh, we're there not, not because we're there for a couple of months. We're there because God has called us to be Serbaricans, half Serbian, half American, loving God and loving people and making disciples in Serbia unless the day comes that he says, go do it somewhere else, which we don't see in our plans. So how about you? These are, the, these are just some of the disciples God's given us to love on. Who are the people that God has given you? Where are the people and where are the places that you, in response to the love you hopefully say you have for God, can step out and say, hey, God, because I love you, because I'm getting to know you, I want to put myself in a place for you to change my heart 
And I want to reach out and I want to serve. I want to give. I want to love. I want to share about this love I have for you and this amazing love that you have for me, which is unbelievable. And I'm hoping people will taste and see how good it is. Who are those people? And where are those places that God is saying, you've got the opportunity right where you are? Not going to Serbia. If you want to come to Serbia, we'd love to have you. But unless he calls you to Serbia, wherever it is, God's called you. As you are going, who are those people and what are those opportunities that the Lord is giving and has given and will give you? Are you looking for him? Are you actively praying, saying, hey God, where are those opportunities today? They're there. I notice when I pray and say, okay, God, give me an opportunity to share about you today. I tend to notice the opportunities that were there yesterday. Not that he's giving me new opportunities that weren't there all the time. But when I'm lifting up my eyes saying, hey, God, where are the opportunities you're giving me? I'm noticing, oh, they've been there all along. Where are they for you? Again, I can keep going, but I'm not gonna. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your amazingness. I thank you that your love is so beautiful and so attractive that the only reasonable response to that love is to say, oh God, you are so cool. You are so amazing. I don't deserve you. How can I show you love back? I want to get to know you. I thank you, God, that you are that God. You are the creator of everything down to us individually and say, I love you by name. And I choose you by name to be adopted in the highest place in my family. And God, you give each one of us opportunities to show your love for us and our, our responding love for you. God, I pray that you would show each and every one of us every day where those opportunities are, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the opportunities you give us in Serbia, God, but here in Welches and wherever everyone lives and wherever they work, you're giving them those opportunities. I pray that you would help them lift up their eyes, not looking at their feet and just taking every step and looking at where they're walking, but lifting up their eyes, as you said to your disciples, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe with harvest. Help every one of us lift up our eyes and see where are the opportunities you're giving? Each and every one of us, each and every day. I thank you, God, for the church on the mountain. I thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for the blessing that they are and they have been and they will be to me and to Tanya and to Boki. I pray your blessing over every one of them. And I thank you for the honor of being here today. In your precious name, amen.